Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We're talking about students using ChatGPT and how HHS needs more perfusionists. Now, the weather is warming up, and so too is Hamilton's real estate market. Learn about the latest giving report. STM celebrates 50 years and a new song from a Niagara Falls man. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Let's bring you into the classroom here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Picture yourself sitting at that desk of yours, whether it's super tidy or super messy. I'm not sure what kind of student you were. But, uh, you know, you had your textbook and your notebook and you're taking down notes and you're researching things. You're opening up the Encyclopedia Britannica back in the day, checking out answers to certain questions or assignments that you needed to go. Maybe you headed to the library, cracked open a few books there as well. Well, today, as you know, it is extremely different, maybe even more than a 180. It is a totally different world for a child in school today with the resources at their fingertips, literally. Press of a button and the world is right in front of them. In saying that, we've learned a lot about, and you've probably heard a lot about chat GPT. And basically, it's it nuts and bolts. It's an open artificial intelligence chat box in which you would type in a, a question or a statement and it in seconds, literally, it spews out answers to your queries. And some now are wondering whether or not this should be used in elementary and high schools, because the discussion is already being had in post-secondary education, university and and college kids already utilizing this service. And uh, as you can imagine, school boards here, there and everywhere are wondering, should we adopt this in schools? The Halton District School Board has issued a statement on chat GPT saying, we continue to monitor the impact it has on teaching and learning while looking for opportunities to discuss and explore it in the classroom. Fair enough. Jamie Mitchell is a program leader in mathematics, business and computer studies at Aldershot School in Burlington and joins us now here on Good Morning Hamilton. Jamie, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Hi, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? I'm, I'm fantastic. You recently um, talked about chat GPT with your students. What did you learn from them? Uh, I learned that it's everywhere and they know more about it than we do. <laughs> in a nutshell. So did that set off any alarm bells for you? Um, not really. I'm all, I've always been curious about technology and uh, how to bring technology into classrooms um, appropriately and how to model how to use it appropriately for students. So when I heard about it, I, I was more intrigued about how, how it could be leveraged for learning. Are there also uh, maybe a little bit of worry in terms of, geez, are my students using this with their homework assignments and are they not ingesting what is being taught? Is that a worry? Uh, no, not for me. Um, you know, I think if that was a worry, um, perhaps I might have to think about the kinds of questions I'm asking students to answer. If it's something they can just Google or, you know, type into an AI uh, program, that that might not be the best question. At the end of the day, too, in math, I mean, you have to show your work uh, using chat GPT in the classroom. uh, And we'll get whether you're for or against that in a second. That might not be the best use in terms of a mathematical equation. No, um, when I when I played around with it in the previous semester, um, it was a, it was good enough at math to fool uh, the layperson, but you know anyone with a little bit of understanding about the subject area could quickly find its mistakes. Um, so you know it's good at showing its work, but it doesn't show the right work. Mm-hmm. At least that was my experience in the fall. My understanding since then is that it may have had an upgrade or two, and I haven't haven't tried it out since then. But 
that's what I noticed. Fair enough. Jamie Mitchell is a math teacher at Aldershot School in Burlington. We're talking about chat GPT in the classroom, primarily in elementary and high schools. It's not there yet in terms of uh, a, a teaching method or being adopted by, by school boards. Um, in, in saying that, are you for or against implementing this in the classroom? Maybe not tomorrow, but certainly in the, in the not-too-distant future. Well, I think with, with any technology, you, you have to kind of investigate and weigh the pros and cons. But, you know, the, the push of technology to move forward, it's never ending. If we start talking about banning certain things, you know, I do think we do the students a disservice. We're not teaching them, you know, how to use the tool appropriately, how to choose the right tool for the right job, um, when it might be appropriate to use it, when it might not be appropriate to use it. They're just kind of left to their own devices. And, um, I, you know, I think that's where you run into issues like students deciding to use ChatGPT for cheating instead of using it as a research tool. That would be, yeah, the, the biggest detriment, obviously. What would be the biggest pro in your mind? Um, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, and I, I remember the first time I ever had to make a resume. I had no idea what I was doing, right? I'm in high school, I'm young, don't know even what a resume is supposed to look like, and we were given templates from our teacher. Um, this is, you know, I'm going to date myself before access to the internet. So um, we were given the template by our teacher. We were told, fill it in with your information and go. And, uh, you know, I was thinking for students today, that would be an appropriate use of a, a tool like ChatGPT. They're writing, say, a scholarship application, and they don't know where to start, or they're writing a cover letter, and they don't know how to start. Well, they could ask ChatGPT to do it for them. They could see what it looks like, see the format, see the flow, and then adapt it for their own needs. If you were to offer a prediction within the year, do you think ChatGPT will be in local schools, elementary and high uh, school? I mean, it, it's already in it's already in my school unofficially, um, and uh, I mean, kids are using it for for everything. I was talking to students the other day that used it to um, create a like a reference list for all the websites they visited for their paper um, that they were writing. So it's it's already there. It's more about whether or not the teachers are going to, to notice that it's there and, and leverage how it's used. Right. Jamie, appreciate your time. Thanks for this and good luck uh, in the future with uh, utilizing chat GPT. Thanks so much. Take care. You too. Jamie Mitchell, program leader for mathematics, business, and computer studies at Aldershot School in Burlington. As you heard, it's already in schools, hasn't been officially adopted by school boards. That might come sometime soon. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hamilton Health Sciences has run into some major problems that it's impacting its cardiac surgeries. Uh, long story short, they need more healthcare professionals known as perfusionists who operate the heart-lung machines. Here to talk about it is Leslie Goche, VP of Clinical Support Services and Surgery at Hamilton Health Sciences. Leslie, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing fine. Thank you. How bad is this situation right now? So I think it's important that everyone understands we are continuing to maintain full access for uh, scheduled care and emergency cardiac surgery. So the hospital is managing to work with our perfusionists and other perfusionists across the country to be able to provide cardiac surgical care. That's important to note. In saying that, though, are some procedures being postponed or delayed? So the way the system works is our cardiac surgeons um, meet on a frequent basis and they prioritize which of our cardiac surgical cases are proceeding. We're funded to do 1,500, just over 1,500 cardiac surgical cases a year. And with all of our health human resource um, shortages, so anesthesia, critical care nursing, and perfusion. Um, we're running about 200 cases a year under that target. 
Is there a province-wide shortage of perfusionists, or is this just a Hamilton Health Sciences issue? No, that's a great question. There is a national shortage of perfusionists, a provincial shortage of perfusionists, and then local at HHS, we also are experiencing a shortage of perfusionists. So it is an issue across the country. So how are you dealing with it in terms of bringing these people into the the cardiac units and, and making sure they don't drop like flies? Because I'm sure they're extremely busy. Yeah, so... Um, The short answer to that is you need a perfusionist to run a cardiac surgical OR. So you, if you have the perfusionist, you can run the ORs and do the surgeries, which we are doing. Our strategies, there's multiple strategies. We're working with um, the province and the province recognizes we need to partner with the educational institution um, to produce more perfusionists to work on the market. Right now, there's only one school in Ontario being Michener that trains perfusionists. There's one in BC and one in Montreal. So we're happening to try and get more people through those programs. At the local level, we've, um, some of the concerns, um, that we had were around wages and we've worked with our union partners around wages and retention recruitment bonuses for perfusionists. And then the, Third um, factor is perfusion supports cardiac surgery, but it also supports patients receiving a therapy called ECMO. And ECMO is a very um, high-end life-saving procedure. And right now for um, Hamilton Health Sciences, we're working with the province to ensure any patient who needs ECMO will receive that care at the right center. It might be initiate the therapy at HHS and transfer the patient to another center that has more capacity. Leslie Goche is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Leslie is the VP of Clinical Support Services and Surgery at Hamilton Health Sciences. We're talking about a shortage of healthcare professionals known as perfusionists who work in cardiac surgical units, and there's clearly a shortage. And given the fact that you've said there's a national and provincial shortage of these individuals, are you able to attract or entice some from other hospitals to come over and help HHS, or is that just robbing Peter to pay Paul? Um, So, yes, it is robbing Peter to pay Paul. I will say that um, our perfusionists across the country are a very dedicated team, and many of them work in what's called a function of being a locum. So a perfusionist working at one hospital will use their vacation and come and work at another hospital to help services provide care. Um, So they are extremely dedicated group and really trying to work hard to continue to support needs across the country. We are looking to see if there's any opportunity to recruit internationally trained perfusionists as well. What's the financial impact from that standpoint? So um, when when you hire a locum, they clearly, um, you pay their travel, their lodging. Um, they're not hospital employees, so they don't receive benefits and pension and those kinds of things for the time they work for us. So they do get a, a stipend on top of their hourly wage. How much longer can we continue down this path if we don't get more and more of these people into the pipeline through education and, and into hospitals? W- what does the path ahead look like? 
Well, I'm really optimistic. I think all the cardiac centers in the province of Ontario are working together on this problem. It's not unique to Hamilton Health Sciences. So I do believe with the help of the province and an organization called Core Health, which oversees cardiac surgery, um, people are very committed to work with our educational partners. Uh, the reality is there'll be a graduating class in May and then the next graduating class is the next May. So, um, it will be, you know, a year of really working hard to um, try and recruit without, to your point, stealing from our neighbors. So within a year, we could be in a much better place? Optimistically, I would hope so. Well, let's hope we get there uh, within that year and there's not much uh, heavy lifting after that. Leslie, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. No problem. And can I just, I want to reassure the community that cardiac sur- HHS is providing cardiac surgical care Patients are getting care that they need at the Hamilton Health Sciences for cardiac surgery. That's the most important message to have. Thanks, Leslie. Thank you. Bye. That is some good news. Leslie Goche, Vice President, Clinical Support Services and Surgery at Hamilton Health Sciences. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. As the spring weather warms up, so too is Hamilton's real estate market. There's also a new home ownership poll out from RBC that shows there's a lot more optimism among home buyers. Rob Golfie is a sales representative with Remax Escarpment Realty, the Golfie team, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Rob, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. Have you noticed the market heating up as the spring weather warms up? It has picked up, and it started picking up. Uh, the last week of January and all of February was amazing and, and March was really good also. Um, it's, uh, you know, lit, you know, th- there's a low inventory of houses, but the buyers out there right now are the serious buyers, especially with, uh, you know, borrowing costs are high. So if your house is on the market, you are getting serious buyers walking through your house looking for a house right now. Are you also seeing more multiple offers now? Yes, uh, we are seeing more multiple offers. Now, the multiple offers are not, you know, people aren't coming in like 50, 100,000, 200,000 over asking. Uh, they're more coming in, you know, you know, it might be 10, 15,000 over asking or at full price, uh, or just some, and a lot of times they're coming in under asking. Uh, they're being very cautious when it comes to, uh, overbidding. So, uh, but we are seeing multiple offers. We had one just, uh, uh, last week that we had nine offers on, on a, on a house that we were selling and, and the highest offer was only about $25,000 over asking. So it's, it's, people are very cautious, but they're serious buyers out there right now. That's really interesting with nine competing parties for one home, you know, that eight of them are going to be disappointed and then moving on to the next house. That's right. That's right. And, and they're looking at the, like, like I said, these are, qualified people looking to buy and uh, it, and there are people that have a, a shift in their family so maybe uh, it, it's an estate sale it could be a separation um, uh, you know uh, like people that have to move are moving not people that want to move so right now we've got the have to's people and uh, and as time will go on then you'll see the want uh, the wants uh, the people that want to upgrade to a bigger house maybe they have a two-bedroom and they have a, 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 a child, and then they have another child coming. 
they may need to expand and, and upside the house. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Rob Golfie, sales representative, Remax's Scartman Realty, the Golfie team, Canada's number one Remax team, by the way. You can find them online at robgolfie.com. Uh, RBC Home Ownership Poll is out, and it shows 37% of Canadians feel the seller's market has passed its peak. That compares to 71% last year. Is Hamilton in a buyer's, seller's, or balanced market right now? I, I think it's a little more in a seller's market if, if it's priced accurately. Now, in November, December, uh, months of inventory, there was three and a half months of inventory of uh, listings uh, on the market. Right now, uh, as of March, the, uh, it, we only have one and a half month of inventory. So it's actually shrunk. So that means uh, if we stopped listing houses today, we have probably six weeks of inventory left to uh, that that that's on the market now. The other problem, the other problem there is that there is still a small percentage of the people that feel that uh, their their house value is a lot greater because they're remembering uh, the first quarter of last year what their neighbor got, and that is that's not that's an unrealistic price right now. Those that was an anomaly that happened last year. And so there's a, a small inventory out there that's an overpriced listings, which will probably have to sit 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 for a while until um, the homeowner uh, realizes that the market's not going to give them that, that large dollar on their house. Another interesting point in this RBC poll, 31% of respondents said they believe there's only a small window of time to take advantage of lower house prices. Do you buy into that or, or are some home seekers going to find some value in waiting until maybe later this year or even next year because there is that threat of a recession? Well, everybody's talking about that, but I don't think the recession is going to be hit as hard. I think it's going to be, the recession is going to hit hard more to companies that have consumer goods. I think that's going to affect them, but not as much as the the average consumer. Now, um, the, the the inventory, like like for instance, everybody's waiting for the market to bottom out. The market bottomed out in November, December last year. It bottomed out. Now it's starting to climb. Uh, little by little as each month is going on. I think it's going to balance out through the summer, but then it may climb just a little more again in uh, September, October, and then balance out. But then I I truly feel 2024 uh, we'll start seeing uh, large increases again. So I think this is the year, if you're going to buy something, uh, I would buy uh, buy a house this year and uh and then hold on to it for you know five years minimum and then you'll do very well on uh, on on your equity on that house great insight as always from rob golfie sales representative remax's cartman realty the golfie team he'll be joining me on saturday's edition of the golfie real estate show here on 900 chml saturdays at nine rob appreciate the time thank you so much have a great day you too that's rob golfie by the way average price of a home in hamilton in march seven hundred ninety three thousand dollars that's up from seven fifty in January. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Canada Helps out with its 2023 giving report. And while we here in Hamilton especially love to give to charity, we're known for volunteering, we have great community spirit, even saying all that, it's it's still not enough. This report is showing that more than 30% of charities, not just here in Hamilton, uh, are reporting a significant drop in revenue and a 40% jump in demand since the start of the pandemic. And those two things are just making things very difficult 
for charitable organizations across the country. Duke Chang is the president and CEO of Canada Helps and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Duke, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm great. Thank you for having me on the program. There are so many factors at play that are impacting charities these days. What did your report reveal? There are a lot of factors, but let me boil it down to the four key things that are are really stretching Canadian charities uh, ice thin right now. You've already mentioned two of them. The first is the increase in the rise in demand for charitable services. What we've seen is 40% of charities reporting higher levels of demand since before the pandemic. But 57% of those charities are now saying they don't, they have so much demand, they don't have enough resources to be able to meet it. And that's partially due to the fact that one in five Canadians is, are saying that uh, they would need support from charities to meet the basic needs, such as food and shelter. So that's force number one, stretching charities then. Force number two is the money, the funding, uh, which you already said ha- uh, our data has shown has gone down, a 30% drop in revenue reported by charities. That's an alarming drop since the beginning of the pandemic. Now, sometimes, or sorry, that should, I should say that's 30% of charities reporting a drop. Now, sometimes that has gone up. For example, in times of crises, we saw uh, Canadians become incredibly generous at the beginning of the pandemic because they saw what each other were going through. They saw the need out there. We saw it again at the beginning of the Ukraine war. But overall, what we're seeing is fewer charities getting money from fewer Canadians as the number of Canadians who are donating to charities over time has gone down. Last year, only 18% of Canadians reported charitable donations on their tax filings. Uh, That's down from almost 30% 30 years ago. So over time, that number has decreased in the number of Canadians who are giving. That's force number two stretching us. Force number three, we all know about it, which is inflation. Inflation has impacted us all recently, and charities are not immune from that. So the cost of delivering their services have gone up, and the cost of their staff have gone up because they've had to you know, supplement for the staff's uh, burden on inflation as well. And the last and final force pulling at charities is the personnel, the human aspect of it, both in their paid staff, which... 75% of, of charities have said they have not been able to increase their paid staff over the pandemic, even though that demand has gone up so much. And uh, 55% of charities have actually said volunteerism has gone down. So fewer people are, are are coming out to help charities out on a volunteer basis. And those are really all connected. We have more people who are hurting because of inflation they either need something from a charitable organization or are unable to donate to said organization. And a number of those volunteers are thinking, wow, I can spend these hours making money because I have to fight inflation. It is really a vicious cycle here. It it is a cycle. uh, And we know uh, Canadians out there are hurting right now. They're having challenges. Uh, so the message really is if you are able to find ways to express your generosity, whether that's through uh, money or through time or through helping with your talents, uh, please do so if you can. And, and if you're on the other side of that, the receiving side of it, know that Canadian charities are working hard every day uh, to, to help you out there. But there's another cycle that's really important, which is this cycle of generosity, which the research has shown that 
people who tend to be generous towards others have better well-being, right? They're, they report overall better levels of well-being. At the same time, people with higher levels of well-being tend to be more generous, too. So that is another important uh, reinforcing loop. We call it the generosity loop that we would really like to see kick up again in Canadians. It does feel good to give, that is for sure, whether it's through money or whether it's through time and volunteering and helping a charitable organization, it does feel good. we got a couple more minutes with Duke Chang, the president and CEO of Canada Helps. They've released a new giving report for 2023. It shows that a lot of charities, 30%, are reporting a significant drop in revenue, a 40% jump in demand since the start of the pandemic. Does this force us to have a conversation to maybe think about a major shift in how we fundraise to help make ends meet and help the less fortunate? Well, what we know is uh, as, as we have population shifts, we need to address uh, new people. Charities need to focus their time on addressing new donors and finding new donors out there. We know we have an aging population who has traditionally given a lot. Uh, as they age and grow old, they may be able to give less over time. And so it's really important for charities to start engaging younger donors to get them into the mode of expressing their generosity so that as they uh, mature over time and perhaps uh, earn more money in their careers, they're already in that practice and they're already engaged with those charities. So that's one thing we encourage charities to do. The second thing we encourage them to do is really think about, okay, what are the channels for engagement? Can you get online and digital? Because we know younger people are more digital, they're on social media. And that's sometimes a lot of what charities are coming back to us and asking us for help on, because at the end of the day, they're expert in delivering their programs. They're experts at feeding people, at housing people, at helping people in mental health crises. They're not necessarily always expert, especially the smaller ones, at fundraising. Well said, Duke. We'll have to leave it there. We're out of time. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. You can get more details of this report online at CanadaHelps.org. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. St. Thomas More High School, legendary school here in Hamilton. It is hosting a 50th anniversary reunion later on this month and will announce its inaugural Distinguished Alumni Award recipients as well. Here to talk about it is Michelle Visprini, guidance counselor at St. Thomas More High School. And good morning, Michelle. How are you today? Good morning, Rick. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. So this reunion is coming up pretty quick. Tell us about it. Yes. Well, it's been um, nearly a year in the making, and uh, we did host one uh, at the 40th, so 10 years ago, which was just an absolute success. And of course, celebrating uh, 50 years was was a no-brainer. So we've been working diligently in getting the information out, collecting information on, as you had just mentioned, uh, an inaugural award that is long overdue, recognizing distinguished alumni for work that they've done within their own careers and also outside into the broader community. So this reunion is April 27th at Carmen's Banquet Center. Do we know how many people could potentially be there? 
Yeah. So firstly, we have the we have two days. So it's the 27th, which is the gala dinner celebrating our distinguished alumni and just bringing, uh, you know, uh, alumni together that we're we're hoping to get up to about 500 uh, people in attendance at least. And then the following day, uh, Rick, in the evening is an open house hosted directly at our school at St. Thomas More on Upper Paradise now. And uh, and our numbers are growing there as well. And we're going to have an open mic. We've got a stage available. We have performers already signed up. So if you know if there are alumni still considering uh, whether they want to come, and if they have a talent, they're welcome to to contact us, and and we'll feature them as well. And on that second day, the the pub night at STM on April twenty eighth, you're going to have rooms filled with memorabilia. Yes. So I recall even on the 25th anniversary for St. Thomas More, walking through these rooms that um, each room represented a decade. So now we have six rooms and uh, and they will represent the different decades of St. Thomas More filled with memorabilia. We have slides upon slides of former students in photos of when they were students at St. Thomas More. Those will be looping all evening. And we've had an incredible amount of memorabilia come in from, um, you know, from uh, whether it be staff, because we, we have a, a heavy population of, of St. Thomas More alumni as staff members, but also just from the community, people reaching out saying, hey, you know, I'd love to share my my jacket that I wore as a a varsity athlete. Michelle Visprini is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Michelle is a guidance counselor at St. Thomas More High School. They are celebrating their 50th anniversary reunion April 27th and 28th at Carmen's Banquet Center and at STM. Uh, From an alumni perspective, I mean, you go through the list, whether it's Emmy Award winners, Juno Award winners, uh, uh, Olympic medal winners, uh, people like uh, Darnell Nurse, who plays in the NHL, Kia Nurse, uh, you know, a sensational basketball player, Shea Gildish Alexander, another awesome basketball player from Hamilton. The the list of alumni is tremendous. Oh, it honestly, we our minds were blown as we were reading through the nominations and um and this is just really the tip of the iceberg, 50 years. We, you know, once we collected nominations and, uh, and then went through, you know, our selections, um, we, we learned of so many more people well-deserving of this award. And this is just the start. So every year we will be honoring alumni from the past who have gone on to do incredible things. We've always been a school that celebrates Athletics and and I myself am a product of St. Thomas More um, strong athletic program, but we are so much more than that, Rick. And uh, I'm so delighted that we have finally found a way to honor those people who, like you said, um, like Alana Harkin, who's gone on to win Emmys, and 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 uh, David Braid, our multiple Juno Award winning. Uh, composer. So yeah, like, and it's, I I just look forward to not only celebrating all of these individuals this year, Rick, but 
each year, this is something that we are going to continue to do. Yeah, for those who don't know as well, Michelle is a top 100 U Sports basketball player back in the day with Western University. So you you could one day be on this distinguished alumni award list as well. But, but before I let you go, where can people get tickets to attend this reunion? Yes, wonderful. So we, we've done what the what society seems to be doing, and, and we've gone uh, paper ticket list. So everything is done online at, uh, at School Cash Online. And you can find us on uh, both Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So I'm going to give that handle out if that's okay. Yeah, that's, do it. It's simple. It's at stmcss 50 so you can find us on social media that way. And we have links to School Cash Online. Um, our school website is stm.hwcdsb.ca. And the direct link to, to buy our tickets online is, it, it's, a, it's a mouthful, but it's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e backslash STMCSS50. Well, phenomenal stuff. Should be an exciting couple of nights on April 27th and 28th. Michelle, thanks for sharing the information with us, and we hope to see a lot of STM alumni at that event. Thanks for the time today. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for uh, for hosting me. It's um, We're looking forward to an awesome celebration. You got it. Michelle Vesprini, guidance counselor, St. Thomas More High School. Go online to stm.hwcdsb.ca or on their social media feeds at stmcss Five oh, pretty exciting stuff. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The song you just heard is called Unique to Yourself, and it was uh, written and performed by Niagara Falls singer-songwriter Danny Lamb, who just released this new single. And all the while, he's continuing, uh, continuing his amazing advocacy work for spina bifida and hydrocephalus associations. And Danny Lamb joins us now here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Danny, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm so well. How are you? I'm fantastic. You're also the host of the People United for Spina Bifida and Hydrocephalus podcast. I want to ask you about that in a couple of minutes. But first, this new song, Unique to Yourself. Tell us about it. Yeah, it, w- it was a follow-up to a song I just previous- previously released uh, called Bigger Than Me, which was all about some of the musical things and advocacy and, and activism stuff that I'm doing in combination with music. And Unique to Yourself as a follow-up has kind of been this idea of how tough some of doing that work can be, but always following your heart, always staying true uh, to to what you know is a part of you and who you are and and what you're meant to be, who you're meant to be, um, in, in staying unique to yourself. And uh, I grew up doing a lot of musical theater, and a part of this song, I think, was also inspired by uh, a musical that I was almost in as a kid, which was Peter Pan. <laughs> I started learning the song "I Won't Grow Up," uh, and so it's kind of a, it's kind of as well a nod to getting older, but never growing up, never truly losing that sense of like anything is possible. That is wonderful. You are uh, you have a lot of boats in the or a lot of oars in the water, I should say. You're you're writing songs, you're singing songs, you're recording songs, you're hosting this podcast, you're uh, advocating for uh, you know funding and research for spina bifida, hydrocephalus. Uh, how, where do you find the time? 
That that is a great question. I you know it it it's eight fifty in the morning, but I have been up for a while. <laughs> um, and uh, I I as an artist, I guess maybe I never used to be a morning person, but I've had to force myself to become a morning person because there's just never enough time in the day. <laughs> no, I hear you about that. Let's talk about the podcast. What is the focus of it? What do you want to get out of it? Yeah, so it it was one of the, I guess, one of the bright lights that came through um, a really tough time, which was the the global pandemic that that uh, uh, that we all we all encountered, and and uh, I always knew that I wanted to start a podcast, but I I always knew that I I or I really hoped it would be through the lens of a song a city, and during the pandemic. It's when it all kind of started and and I, I figured out how to create it with the focus of um, it sitting down with different folks across our spina bifida and hydrocephalus community uh, locally and globally and create quite honestly creating a space where I talk as little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> because as a front person, as a performer, I I know that naturally I take the mic uh, in so many different ways in life, and uh, and and I know that I'm I'm good at talking, but I I really for me personally want to create a space um, on the podcast that continues to create space for voices across our community, uh, voices, stories, and abilities uh, to be heard across our. Our community and to redefine what it looks like to live with spina bifida and or hydrocephalus. There's still today a lot of doom and gloom around what it looks like to be born with spina bifida and or hydrocephalus and there's a lot of systemic issues that still exist that our community faces every day but there's a lot of talented humans out there across our community and uh, the podcast uh, it's really kind of geared towards putting focus on all those really cool things that humans across our community are doing. That is wonderful. You can subscribe to the People United for Spina Bifida, Spina Bifida and Hydrocephalus podcast wherever you get your favorite podcast. We have another minute with Danny Lamb, Niagara Falls singer-songwriter. Where can we get this song unique to yourself and what's next for you? You can get it across all streaming platforms, Spotify, uh, Apple, uh, or, or iTunes, I should say. <laughs> I'm thinking podcasts. Uh, iTunes, um, visit dannylamb.com. It's everywhere. Uh, find it on Instagram, on, on my handle, Danny Lamb Official. Um, and then just a lot more music making. We're working on some shows here in Ontario, as well as Vancouver, uh, on the East Coast as well, uh, to celebrate 10 years of A Song, A City, and celebrate the podcast and, and everything that's kind of wrapped up in it. Awesome stuff. Danny, really appreciate your time. Good luck going forward. Thank you so much. Have an incredible day. You too. Check out his website, dannylam.com, and the podcast, People United for Spina Bifida and Hydrocephalus. You can find it wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.